0: Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Wayne and Monica. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. Pretty good. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to remember what's going on this week. This week, um, well, actually, last week, uh, classes started, but I'm but towards the end of the week, so I'm just getting into the full swing of things. I think I mentioned on on last week's show, which was about academia, that I work at three different places now, so I'm exhausted all the time. I don't I never know where I'm <laughs> what, what I'm doing or where I'm going. And, you know, so it's it's been it's been fun. Um, and I, you know, and I'm in person now again. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's terrifying sometimes. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're, we're wearing masks. That's
1: safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, how are you guys? Okay, right, riding out the storm.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's also storming here
1: so people know when when we're recording. Yeah. It, it, yeah. The world the world's flooding on our end of the country at this point. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, not not right here where I am at the moment. It, it's raining. But um, yeah, yeah we, we we have a hurricane passing through
2: mm-hmm.
1: as much as uh, we ever do in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the remnants of the remnants. Yeah. How about you, Monica? How are you doing?
3: Um, I'm great. Uh, I'm at my mom's house this weekend. Uh, we're going to go to the Renaissance Fair.
0: Oh, <laughs> that sounds exciting. Yeah, almost I, relevant to what we're doing. Yep,
1: I, it's I,
3: absolutely I, almost relevant yep, to what we're yeah, doing.
2: Absolutely
1: <laughs> almost relevant. <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed Ren Fairs, It's been a few years since I've been to one, but I, yeah. I always enjoyed it. What are we doing today, Monica? Um, your, yeah. Your topic. <laughs> Um
3: Yeah, this is my first topic. Um, as a, oh, it's your first one. Yeah. I
1: didn't, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. Okay. It's your first topic, so terribly exciting. <laughs> pressure what is it what are we doing today
3: we're talking about uh public history and pop history and Mm -hmm. all of the versions of things that are meant to get people interested in learning about history and the fact that sometimes historians be well frankly kind of shitty about uh the fact that pop history isn't Always entirely historically accurate.
0: So I'm gonna have lots of questions about that. The first mm-hmm. one's gonna be, what does it mean? But <laughs> yeah. but before but before that, and I have a, I have a general idea. But I'm you know I, I'm, I'm gonna, this gonna this is gonna be one of those shows where I'm gonna be learning with the audience a lot. So uh, before that, you brought you brought a guest. Who would you
3: bring? I did bring a guest. Uh, I would love my guest to introduce herself because she will do it so much better than I can, and I'm so excited to have her here.
4: Uh, But it's my friend, Emily. Hi, guys. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to be here. I am a historian. Mm -hmm. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Um, And I am a a historian and a living historian, a public historian, um, an actor. There's lots of different names for what I do. But basically what I do is I work at a living history museum, um, Colonial Williamsburg. You may have heard of it. Um, and I pretend to be people from a different time. Um, whether it's,
0: it or was, yeah. Is it like a different, like every, I mean, you said people. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
4: So it's sort of um, my job description is that I'll take on multiple different roles, different characters, um, and I'll research them and then I'll, I'll either perform in plays or I'll just walk around and talk to people. Not unlike a Renaissance fair, though. I have actually never been to a Renaissance fair, believe it or not. <laughs> that's my dirty secret for today
1: (laughs) we're so ashamed I know much shame I, uh, I I went to Colonial Williamsburg on my s- high school senior trip, uh, which... As, during Colonial times? Yeah, during Colonial times, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a while uh, ago. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a while.
4: Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, my dad and my stepmom came here on their honeymoon, and I was very jealous they didn't take me. I didn't understand why I couldn't go, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: so much so that you wouldn't get a job there? Is that like why? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Here's my revenge. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: way way back on episode 64 um of this show and wow we've been doing this show a long time that's over 100 episodes ago Um, (laughs) way way back on episode 64 we did a we did a show that we call mythologizing the founders where we talk a lot about um reenacting historic uh, events uh hannah's brother-in-law charlie bell who's been on the show a couple times i believe he worked or worked at the time. I don't know if he still does um, doing that sort of work. So it's interesting. Um, so I, that's, the, that's the extent of what I know about it. <laughs> So um, it's going to be kind of cool having you talk about
1: it. Yeah, I I have some assumptions about the topic based on what Monica wrote in our call for comments. And Mm -hmm. has led to some of the things I've thought about, which may be completely irrelevant. So so let's see how this goes. Yeah. So um, what's public history? (laughs) Matt Matt and I are both playing the role of a dumb guy tonight.
4: (laughs) So I can give you my definition, um, sure. which is off the cuff. So don't come at me, historians, <laughs> <laughs> um, public history is, um, relating people to, uh, the past, uh, making the past relevant, usually through, um, either doing something or talking to somebody from the past that, um brings relevance into the situation so that, uh, you feel connected to that time. And it's not just hidden away in a book anymore. So public history could be, um, going to a site and talking to a person who's not in character, but who is doing something like getting water from a well, um, or doing a trade like a blacksmith, or it could be doing what I do, which is, um, I'm out there. I'm saying good day. My name is not Emily, <laughs> like inserting <laughs> the name of a person who lived 200 plus years ago.
1: I'm going to assume Dorcas. <laughs>
4: You're close. I do play a um, Borcia, so that's actually pretty, pretty close. <laughs> um, but it's all based on what we do know. Um, mm-hmm. So we have in public history, it's heavily researched, which is a little different from sort of pop history like um, I, Outlander and that sort of a thing, which is um, somewhat based in history, I would say.
0: Okay, That's a question I have. If you're saying pop history, somewhat based in history. So you mentioned Outlander. And Outlander obviously has the break with history of there's a lady time traveling. Um, and no. <laughs> I mean, so that part matters, right? But also, I mean, you would count, I'm trying to think of a a more um, historical fiction in general, um, you'd say it's pop history. Uh, uh, in, in the, in the blog, Monica's example was Seabiscuit, the movie Seabiscuit. Yes.
4: Yes. Um, yeah, I think anything that takes a, a moment in time or a person of the past and sort of starts imagining around it could be classified as pop history, but that's just me. I don't want to speak for Monica either.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: No, oh, I, th- I think that that's also my definition. Um, I should mention that, like, Emily and I met not when I was interning at Colonial Williamsburg, but a few years later when I was working on Hearn, the AMC TV series about the Revolutionary War and George Washington's spy ring. And that's one of the ones where, like, we're really leaning hard into pop history. Pop history mm-hmm. is... Um, much more like narrative that is anchored in historical fact, but is taking significantly more uh, leniencies with those mm-hmm. facts, with timelines for the purposeful sake of developing the narrative. And and so it's it's not about telling history; it's about telling a story, and that for me is the main difference between public history and pop history. Because the the point of telling a story in public history is um, to convey facts in a way that are uh, relevant to the person who's learning about it.
1: Okay, well, hooray! That's exactly what I took from from your blog entry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, well, and I, you, you, you mentioning CBIS, cause I made me think just immediately of all the different movies that have done that sort of thing, but very much for the sake of narrative, you know, the, the whole based on a real story kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I there's. Mean, it- and there's a wide range of accuracy with that. Um, yeah, you know, okay. I
4: think even the play Hamilton falls under pop history to me. Yeah. Um, okay. There's lots of little nuggets there for history nerds. But then, you know, even when you look at the way the play is cast and the commentary it's making, it's not just presenting facts in a vacuum.
1: Mhm. Because I, I think of, I, I remember, I, I'm going back to my childhood in colonial times. I just uh, <laughs> uh, uh, two anecdotes, one of which is a movie, one of which is a book. I remember, uh, or a series of books. I remember as a child just you know, watching TV at home, uh, mostly with my mom. My dad was not much of a TV person, at least not narrative. He, he, he reads newspapers and magazines, but he's never really read novels and, and books of that sort. Uh, he watches the news and that sort of thing, but he's not into movies. I remember we watched the TV broadcast of the movie The Battle of the Bulge, and he sat down to watch it with us because he'd been in The Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. and I don't remember a lot of details of the movie or that night what I remember him saying is none of this happened (laughs) (laughs) and and I think some of that was just you know he wasn't one of the generals directing the battle he experienced his specific time and place in that and he didn't see anything in the movie that spoke to that experience he did not feel represented by the film yeah he did not feel represented by the film Um, and I I found that interesting at the time because I'm 10 years old and watching it as Oh, this is the story of the Battle of the Bulge. You know? uh, and and it was it was a theatrical release. It was a Hollywood movie. I have no idea how accurate it was in terms of the history of it. But that anecdote came to mind as I, as I was reading the blog. The other is when I was a child, there was a series of books uh, in our library that were uh, t- childhoods of american heroes figures whatever and they were they were books written for young readers that told they were essentially biographies of of american figures like george washington and mm-hmm. kate carson and then whatever and i devoured those um and i and then but they were written as stories they were written as narratives and there was one i spent literally Years of my life trying to track some of these down. There was one in particular that that was really meaningful to me. And three, four years ago, I found a copy of it online and ordered it and read it. And you know, it was written for you know ten ten. 10, 11 years old, whatever. And and then after rereading it, I went and did some research on on the person, and this children's book was really remarkably accurate in terms of the details of this person's life. There were certainly liberties taken. Uh, it was written in the 60s for kids, so there were complexities to the issues in his life that were glossed mm-hmm. over or just not touched on. It was really fairly accurate, uh, which which stunned me, quite honestly. But those books really build an interest in history for me. I was a history major in undergrad, mm-hmm. and I was well into my 20s before I realized what I was interested in was the narrative, not so much troop movements and dates.
4: Oh, yeah. Same. I, I honestly don't care for history when it's presented as
2: names <laughs> And I
4: have <laughs> a career out of this. Yeah. So that's always the first thing I say when somebody says I don't like history. I'm like, do you not like memorizing? Because I also don't like memorizing. Yeah.
1: And I, I was yeah. lucky enough, my my one high school history teacher, he was also my art teacher. And he was that teacher for me. He was just certainly the biggest influence in my, my high school career. And he taught uh, American history and world history. And like day one, he's like, OK, Hey, don't be memorizing dates, I don't care. look it up yes. <laughs> and Absolutely. He, he presented. The stories as a narrative, which he is really kind of specifically responsible for me choosing history as a major and undergrad um, because of that. He told fascinating stories. Mm-hmm.
4: And I think I think that really is the purpose of public history is to create that narrative and especially of what I do in character. Um, mm-hmm. it, and I think you brought up something interesting, which is that, you know, the um, Battle of the Bulge movie was only one perspective. And yes. I think that is the drawback of the academic side of what I do is that I am a white woman. You know, you're not going to talk to any of my characters and get the perspective of an enslaved person or a right. native American. Um, so the only way we can prevent, we can present a full diverse story is if you talk to a whole bunch of different people. Um, mm-hmm. And that is always a challenge when you are trying to make sure everybody who comes to your site gets all of the perspectives um, from all these different people. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting and it happens with uh, pop history as well. Like I think a lot of times people gripe when they gripe about pop history, they're griping that their point of view about an event or a person isn't being represented um, because that's not the narrative that um, the people who were writing it wanted to go for.
1: And not to just keep on talking and and monopolize the conversation, but you know the the, project that we've talked about on the show before, something I've been involved with for several years now, the the Comics, Mm -hmm. Uh, friends and I are telling comic book histories of Holocaust survivors. It's being published by the Holocaust Mm -hmm. Center of Pittsburgh, uh, and they are micro histories. And the the way we talk about them is each one of these is a real person story, Mm -hmm. and by doing that, we're seeing all these different aspects of the Holocaust, from camp survivors to resistance fighters to um, children who were hidden. Uh, you, so it's all these different, very personal perspectives on this historical event that you wouldn't necessarily get just reading the history of the Holocaust.
4: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think and I think that's so important. I think that is the source material that people are then going to come back to um, when, you know, they're doing what the work I do in 100 years is looking for those narratives um, to to craft uh, the story in a compelling way. And I, and I do think that there's, there's a lot of merit, obviously. I think, I think since I've made it a career, there's a lot of merit to public history, but I also think there's merit to pop history. I think Mm -hmm. there's something about that, that hook. Um, you were mentioning books that you had when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Monica, I don't know if you ever read or remember, do you remember the dear
3: America series, the journals? Oh, Absolutely. (laughs) Oh my god! They
2: were the
3: best. Um, I feel like, for context, for people who who don't remember them, is they were very similar uh, to the stories that Wayne is describing, but also sort of like it's almost like an American Girl doll book, but Mm -hmm. aimed at like a twelve year old audience. Um, And so, like, I remember my favorite one was reading about a girl who was the best friend of Peggy Shippen and how she like. Seduced Benedict yes. Arnold, like. Uh, oh my gosh! Yes. Uh, <laughs> Having recovered memories, I like
4: there's the Civil War one called "When Will This Cruel War Be Over." Um, <laughs> they were my gateway drug, though. Like a lot of a lot of things sparked that's, my interest. But that's that. a great
1: way of describing. It. That's how I feel about these books from my childhood. They were so much. They were my entry into reading history. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
4: So, I mean, I think I don't really, I think there's so much merit. Sometimes people kind of side eye things like turn or outlander, which take those historical liberties. But I'm like, you know what, as long as people are interested and, and reading about this stuff, um, that's. What matters, and there's a place for that as well um, within our community, Uh, because I don't think you get historians out of nowhere.
0: (laughs) I mean, I mentioned Outlander because you did, and and Outlander I think is easy to say isn't accurate or to give a pass because, again, there's a clear science fiction element, right? Like there is a clear thing where you're saying I am fictionalizing this event. Um, I think on our last episode I made reference to. um, um, the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, right? Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody, Wayne, you, you know the scene I'm going to talk about yeah, yeah. has a very clear scene in it where I meant to go back and check. If I remember correctly, it's Freddie Mercury talking to Brian May in the scene, and. Freddie's like let's go party you know crazy and go party and and the Brian May character is very much well but Freddie we're grown up now and we have wives and children at home so we cannot do that sort of thing and this clearly never happened but Brian May <laughs> is alive and wanted the and wanted that in the movie yeah
1: <laughs> so and, to- and, and, and you you bringing that movie up that that was another thing I thought reading the blog I mean so much of my connection to that idea of you know, public history stuff are the biopics like that. Right. Yeah, and I've been a giant queen fan since i was like 15 years old um so i watched that movie and for the most part i really enjoyed it i mm-hmm. was also very aware of the things they got wrong or change being, it, well, or, that, or change that's for that's the what sake I'm questioning. Of narrative yes that's an i my, my, my just... prime example of that is there was a montage of them, yes, the their first american tour <laughs> mm-hmm. and the song they were playing wasn't released for three more years so any of us who knew, knows the band like, well, that song is completely wrong for what they're showing here. But if they played a song from that era, no one in America would have known it. Right. So you know, Ogre Battle would not have gone over nearly as well. Right.
0: So. so a similar one for me that you know um i i i like westerns i'm i'm into westerns mm, i'm in the yeah. cowboy movies um the movie Tombstone is one of the one of the greatest westerns ever told, certainly the best historical western ever told I, I, Yep, i agree and has problems in that um there are massive liberties taken there are characters added, there are characters removed. White herp is missing a brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they just they just made one brother just disappear from the story because they're because there's, you know, they're supposed to be um there's they're supposed to be four brothers, and they're like, you know what, we gotta make keep this picture moving. Three is good enough. Let's just <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have room for the other one. Yeah. And they just and they just wrote him out, gave his few relevant things to other characters, and it didn't matter. And I'm fine with that because it's not a test. Book to me, but it is a better story, and I know it's a better story because there's another movie called uh, that came out the same year called The Wyatt Earp Story, which um I always joke. The Wyatt Earp Story tells the life of Wyatt Earp in real time, and Wyatt Earp lived a long, long yeah. time, and the movie's long, and 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 I mean Wyatt Earp, I think lives to be like I think he dies when he's like eighty or ninety. And most of Earth's life isn't really that interesting. <laughs> so I mean, he's it's as interesting as anybody else. Like he did a lot of fascinating things that aren't just uh, the shootout of the. It's not a story. And if you want to tell a story, then you have to tell a story. Telling a story. I mean, it, there's a question of what the goal is. is. it Me to understand. I mean, to memorize little facts or or the Battle of the Bulge, or is the is the goal to get what am I trying to do? And I don't I don't know. Right? Like Hamilton. Hamilton is not historically accurate. No one was rapping but also no one was singing like the fact that like like the musicals just aren't real so deal with it and i think that that makes it i think hamilton is still an important historical artifact yeah Yeah, i
3: mean even the fact that people are sitting there nitpicking what is correct and not correct is like well, it did its job to get you to figure that out, (laughs) didn't it? Like (laughs) it got you caring about history because you care that it's not right. And like, there is a sense of like you're complaining about like the fact that this film is actually successful in, in getting through the aim like I don't know and I think that a lot of times that
4: that line is what people have a hard time drawing like my personal enjoyment of a film um, sure there are things that, I, that really get under my skin and if it annoys me so much I'll turn it off um, uh, I'm one that like and I'll admit this and I'm not proud of it but like if If I'm watching a period drama and everybody's got their hair down, undressed, no caps, you know, just flowing in the wind at a certain point, I'll be like, okay, I'm so distracted. I need to turn it off. But (laughs) I do recognize the fact that, That's not the purpose of that film, you know, and I don't think it's really fair to come for pop culture for manipulating history in order to tell a good story. Uh, On the other hand, I think that we have a responsibility as customers. If you're into historic dress um, uh, as reenactors, perhaps to understand the historical setting you're stepping
0: into. Um, Yeah. So I have a question then. So you're talking about public history versus private history, and the purpose. And to me, a big part of this, this is the same thing happens for me as a literary critic and a cultural critic. And I don't know that the difference matters. You, I mean, you said that we're talking about this at all, right? Like the fact that we talk about what Hamilton got wrong, it got us interested enough in Hamilton to at least read the Wikipedia entry. So, you know, it did its job, right? <laughs> like yeah. You know, if not do more research. Um, I, you know, I I have arguments all the time with people about literature or about, you know, Cultural studies where people you know it comes down to people saying well how do you know this and you know Kati and I have said this on the show at some point uh, several times at some point we're just the source right because literally like that's what a PhD is right like you go and you learn everything so like I it's not that you can't have an opinion it's that like at some point like there are things that make you an expert and those things mostly aren't meaningful right like I don't expect everybody to go and read um volumes and volumes of marxist analysis of of moby dick or of captain america neither of those right they're <laughs> boring like i mean i mean it's wayne as a as a freelance academic you've even said like you're a weirdo in that you like doing homework right yeah. like you like you know like you've gone out of your way to like insert yourself and learn um mm-hmm. yes yeah you know in a in a world where like it's weird that you're reading these things for fun and you know i read these things cuz it's my job and i, I assume for Emily as your job, you're, you're doing deep research into history that it doesn't make sense for normal people to do. Like, like, like Monica, you work in a job where you have to get things right because that's the job. (laughs) Right. Right. And I, I don't, I don't know how much, I don't know how much that matters to normal people. People argue about it. Like it matters. I can't enjoy this because it's historically inaccurate because, you know, zippers weren't invented yet. It's like, fuck you. Seriously. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, you know, it, it, like it doesn't, those aren't real, those aren't real issues Um, other than arguing about it. So I don't know how much like, I think pop history is always going to matter more. I think I think public history, I think I think history details matter, but I think pop history is very important because that's how we get people invested in it in the first place.
3: Yeah, because essentially there's so much more pop history than history because there's less of us who have decided to dedicate our lives <laughs> right. to be yes. fact weirdos. Yeah.
2: There's less of
3: us weirdos out here. <laughs> oh, that, that, that,
1: that's a great name yeah. for trivia team, the fact weirdos. <laughs> I
4: think I think it I think it does matter, but in a very specific way. I think that okay. for pop history, for like like I have had So many small children that I can, if I see them wearing Hamilton merch, I can walk up to them on the street and say, did you know John Lawrence was here? And all of a sudden, I've got them. Like, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if if I just walked up and said, oh, hello, good day. My name is Rachel Whitaker. They might not care. They might be hot and tired and walk away from me. But the minute I know I've got a connection, I can build on it. So I think Mm -hmm. that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But in public history, at least, my job is to teach people or show people that the real-life history is just as interesting and exciting. Mm -hmm. So I think that and that... For my everyday job, I do think I need to be very careful about the details and the facts because um, when we don't get them right and other people assume that we're in the position to know that's Mm -hmm. where you run into years and years of um, us trying to undo bad (laughs) history. which I run into a lot, especially like, I can't tell you how many times I've had people question whether I'm allowed to talk on the street because I'm a woman or people say um, some really kind of like pop history, kind of mid-century ideas about history that we're Mm -hmm. still undoing. Um, But it's not just pop history that was presenting that. At one point museums were presenting that as well so it's on us too Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously these are my opinions they don't reflect where I work they don't reflect colonial (laughs) life but this is just what I see every day
3: Mm -hmm. I mean that's something I really wanted to ask you about when I invited you on was because I do come as somebody who was a rennie like i got into history by working at the renaissance fair and that is very very different sorry, wait
0: a rennie is that like the word that like is that like the internal yeah, that's, carny that's, word that's that you the official use? term
3: okay. <laughs> yeah instead of carny we're rennies okay. um, <laughs> um, but it's that's very very different than working in a living history museum because whether or not we like we were public historians who did our own research and the uh, content that we created was um, about historical duels and historical combat and historical blacksmithing. And the point was that, the novelty of the content that we were making was the fact that it was uh, historically accurate and researched versus the things that happened at a Renaissance fair that are, you know, like fairies and dragons and uh, all of the other like fun things that also bring you to a Renaissance fair that are just as enjoyable
1: that that guy who is inevitably dressed like Geordie Laforge. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs>
3: both of those things happen. and and therefore, um there is this place of like you know we didn't have to be presenting authenticity um and and I think because more people potentially have these pop history experiences over public history experiences um Emily I'm really interested in sort of the way that you as an actor and as an interpreter uh present the fact that what you are doing is something different than pop history because it's something that you've research because it's something that is presented in this uh, context of authenticity that Mm -hmm. pop history experiences don't have
0: much better way of asking what I was trying to ask.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the question. That's the really um, important question is how, how do you show people the difference when they do come to a museum? Um, And here's, Here's the 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 truth: is that sometimes what I'm doing is also not. It's based on um, rather than a document that says this is exactly what this person thought it felt at mm-hmm. this time of their life. What I'm doing is taking a reasonable guess, so I can also <laughs> be wrong. Like, and quite often, the only people we we know who what they thought and felt are people that um, who were in their own time. Uh, had the privilege to be able to write stuff down and people wanted to save it. So a tavern keeper in the middle of the city in a, of 20 different taverns, um, nobody was going to keep her stuff. So I can't actually tell you what Rachel Whitaker and thought and felt. Um, hmm. But I do have that advantage of going back to my historical sources and saying, well, this is what other people like her were saying. Um, and in the last, I would say, Three to five years, we've we've at least where I work, we've um, started doing a lot more kind of half and half. So what I mean by that is half of the time will be in character and half of the time will step out of character and say, this is how we know what we know. Um so
0: so wait wait wait, hold on. So you mean essentially like verbally citing your sources in the middle yeah. of the speech?
4: Yes. And, okay. and sometimes physically. I, I love dropping my sources. It's one of my favorite things ever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm such a nerd, but um I love I love being able to say I have this will that says, you know, Dorothea Henry was given this enslaved woman. Um, and so, therefore, I have built this narrative around that fact, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the narrative itself is still kind of walking the line of pop history. It's well cited and it's as sourced as it can be. But I think the historian side of it is when I can step back and say, um, this is where I got this from,
2: um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I I see that happening in in fiction. I'm going to go to the comics for a second, but there's also a, a historical uh, author that I, I read a lot of, uh, Alan Moore's From Hell, uh, in which he does the the. Uh Jack the Ripper story. Yes. The most fascinating part of that graphic novel for me were his footnotes. Mm-hmm. Uh yes. where, where he sourced, you know, a tremendous amount of it. like I made this narrative decision based on this letter that was published in the London Times or whatever. Um so he sources that stuff. But he also is very good of of leaving footnotes where he's like, This page, yeah, I just made all this shit up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for for the sake of narrative, this worked for me. Uh there's yeah. a yeah, and, and there's a there's a historical uh, military historian, I, I guess he re- he writes military fiction, historical military fiction, uh, by the name of Bernard Cornwell, mm-hmm. and he's written tons of stuff, and I, I've read a lot of his stuff. He does just immense research into the historical periods that, that he, he writes about. Um, he typically creates a fictional cast that he sets in this. Uh, he, there was a series he did on the Civil War where he created a fictional unit from Virginia, which allowed him to put them in whatever battle or setting he wanted or was interested in rather than following a specific group. Mm-hmm. But But outside of that fictionalized group of people, his details of the battles, what led up to it, the the specifics of the movements, all that stuff, written in a very compelling narrative fa- fashion. And his he usually you know, quotes his sources and in, in notes and, and that sort of thing, and acknowledges where he diverges from from real history. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I've probably you know, learned more history from him than I ever would have reading a book about the Civil War or any of the other myriad things he's he's covered over the years. And
3: the idea that these pop history or public history is starting to include citations is so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. because I think um, some of my most vivid memories actually of visiting Colonial Williamsburg. Where I I did both um, a ghost tour and I saw the play Cry Witch. And I feel like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and and this was in middle school. It's about, I mean, it's about witchcraft. Okay. It's about a woman who's been accused of witchcraft. And I think when you start to bring in these, like, the rest of it, there's almost a disconnect because the rest of the museum like both of these uh, events happen at night and like during the day um, there's really this like presentation of authenticity. And then at night, I think there's also this like connotation that sometimes when you're talking about things that are more sensationalized or have been more sensationalized in pop history in particular, like ghost stories and like witchcraft, then Mm -hmm. your brain sort of has the ability to like also just make the assumption that those things are not based in, any historical research, despite being presented in this historical setting. And that's also really interesting to me.
1: Salem, Massachusetts is just full of that. Uh, I, I had friends who lived there for years. I like visited a few times. And there's a tremendous amount of genuine history there. There are you know, museums and whatnot that talk about witch trials and give you the actual information. And everything else in town is absolutely commercialized with witch kitsch. Oh.
4: I have so many thoughts about, and I, I'm from New England. I love New mm-hmm. England. I stopped and I've been in the Crywist Witch cast um, full disclosure for several years now. <laughs> I could probably do it beginning to end right now, but I will spare you. <laughs> but it's interesting because that play does have original testimony in it, and it is never the testimony people think is original. The one sensationalized and the way we present it, perhaps as modern people, is a little sensationalized testimony about um, a woman feeling like she's been bewitched and she's been ridden about the countryside. That's the real deal. And the rest of it is what we would think of as modern people, like the logical part of the trial that is completely invented based on what we think might have happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: But yeah, Salem. I had two very different experiences in that town. One was complete pop history and it was like a a witchcraft museum that I went into. And it it might have been the first time I've left a museum tour before it was (laughs) over. Um, But then I went to the house of uh, Seven Gables and that was like so compelling and such a cool story. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, I think, Monica, it's an interesting, you know, when museums do pop history, that is a very interesting line to walk because you're right, like people categorize things differently in their brain. um, And it's not always super clear what is based on fact and what is just a good entertainment
1: There was the one museum there that, like, you you went through and and the different alcoves that have figures in it that would light up. And and it told the story. It told the actual history of it. But the presentation of it was fairly sensationalized. There was a a slave woman. uh, She was Caribbean, Haitian, you know, whatever. And her name was Teachaba. And every time they would say her name because, you know, know, she she was blamed for bringing some of the the witchcraft stuff to – to Salem. And every time they said her name like it was ah, with echoes and, you know, was just like, oh, my gosh, You, it was just so absolutely over the top sensationalized. It was hard to take the actual history seriously because of the way it was presented. So I have a question
0: then. We often say we're looking for the authenticity, right? That's a thing people say. But are we looking for authenticity, TM, or are we looking for it to be good right cuz there's a difference right yeah i mean i made i made the i made the wider comment earlier uh tombstone is a better movie by far by far than the wider story um and White story is more realistic, so I don't know that the inauthenticities of Tombstone matter because it is such a better film that does not insult my intelligence when I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the the thing that you're talking about, where you're you know you're echoing the the witch's name and everything like that. That is insulting you as an audience member. It is you. It's offensive if not you know just if not just dumb, right? Yeah. Whereas If I want, you know, like, I don't know that I I don't know that I expect my pop history fiction to just pause and insert footnotes the way Emily does when she's performing. Yeah,
1: Well, if this this museum presented the same story with just sort of a dry history professor reading the events as they happened, nobody's going to walk through that either. Right. Yes. Right,
0: so so okay. you have to make it good, like yeah. that, but yeah. that's that's the thing, and, and I don't know. Um, okay, Wayne, the book that you're talking about that you that you write, uh, hutzpah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not just because you're my friend. I think I think it is a good um, is a good historic document. I, I think mm-hmm. they are very well done.
1: We put and, a lot of work into the the research and the authenticity of it. Yes, so, to, to get stuff correct. At the same time, you, certainly my goal as a writer is to tell an entertaining story and. In- pages.
0: Yes, and that's got to matter. It's a challenge. <laughs> and well, and knowing knowing the accolades that the project and that the Holocaust Center have gotten Like this book's doing well for an indie comic about about history, you know
1: about really difficult history.
0: Yes, it's you know so like so like I under so I think that that can work. I think that by the same token, Hamilton. The fact that um, Emily, you said you know sometimes when you see a kid wearing Hamilton merch, there's fucking Hamilton merch. How is (laughs) there? You know, there's merch for uh, for a play that's about a history lesson and. Yeah, I realize Hamilton doesn't stop to tell you, you know. Okay, well, we're not exactly sure how sure how much Angelica and Alexander had a relationship, and like also Angelica's not really the oldest Skylar child. Um, Skylar actually did have uh, d- did have sons, so the thing that she's talking about didn't actually matter to the Skylers, but it might have to other families. So she just represents this. If we're talking, you know, that would make the, make it boring. So I understand why they don't stop that. I don't know how to find the balancing act, but I don't think that means it doesn't exist. Right. I think that you can be historically accurate and interesting. And I think that if you do it right, you can drop footnotes. And I think that you can drop footnotes wrong, too. You know, Mm -hmm. either one. can. So
3: that for me was the thing that balances, uh, I guess, pop history and public history the best is these like nonfiction New York Times bestseller novels, um, mm-hmm. which is you know where I started this whole blog off was with my my love of Sea Biscuit, but
0: uh, <laughs> it, it's such a weird particular one. But go ahead,
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, <laughs> Horse girls go uh, have I a lot understand. of loyalty. <laughs> I was obsessed when it first came out, but at the same time, like I still go back and I'm like. But why biscuit And Wayne, I was thinking of, I mean, you brought up Jack the Ripper, but um, I just finished reading um, Ailey holds The Five, which is about, is the biographies of the five uh, victims of Jack the Ripper.
2: Mm.
3: And it's a, it's one of those like very bestseller nonfiction books. She's a social historian. Um, Jack the Ripper is almost not mentioned at all on purpose because this is a book mm-hmm about how these women were killed because they were seen as forgettable. And therefore, her whole point is that they are not forgettable. And it's a very, very interesting book that has taken, you know, perhaps the most sensationalized serial killer Mm -hmm. of all time and does not talk about him on purpose yeah. and it is interesting because he is not in it and like that for me is just this great example of like you can do this in a way that's entertaining and still actual and yet there seems to be this also like weird prejudice against new york times bestseller yeah. uh, nonfiction uh books because it, it's almost as if oh it wasn't researched as well oh it actually is more sensationalized because it's prioritizing a narrative. Oh, you wrote this because you want the rights to the movie one day, or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't yeah. read fiction books anymore. Like, all I read are these bestseller non because that's what's fun for me. And they're yeah. fun for a lot of other people well, I, but, or they wouldn't have the word bestseller in them. Right, right, yes, yes. Well, I,
1: I, I think a lot of times just, you know, the, the pop history stuff, you know, Tombstone or, or whatever, they can lead to actual research. You know, they, 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 it's a gateway into the stuff. For those of us who are more interested in that stuff, mm-hmm. I you know, last, you know what, summer before last, I went to see uh, Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood, mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about Tarantino, but I—that I, is one of his movies I liked a lot. And I—I never gotten into the whole serial 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 killer Charlie Manson mass murder kind of thing, but after that, I got kind of fascinated, and I finally read *Helter Skelter*. Which there are aspects of that that have been questioned since its first publication, but I found it fascinating in a way I wouldn't have 20 years ago. Just something about the movie sparked my interest in that whole scene in a different way than never had before. And yes so, so that's
0: that's how history that's how actual history scholarship works too, right? Yeah, and literary scholarship. Like if I write anything, um, you know, if I if I publish something in an academic journal, the only the entire reason I'm doing that is to get other academics to question and challenge whatever my, whatever my mm-hmm. viewpoint is, my, my version of a narrative. So that's part of the process in popular discourse. We sort of look at things as though there were an absolute truth that doesn't exist in, in actual academic study, right? Like, like we, we, we sort of implicitly know that we are always like sort of questioning the narrative and, and figuring out, you know, what is the stance that we're taking on this and how, you know, And the 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 work is doing that analysis.
4: And I think that's the dialogue that is happening between historical museum culture and pop culture. And I think that a lot of times it's sort of um, the it's the meme of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because because I think they both have something the other one doesn't, you know. I think that with with pop culture and with pop history and even living history, the biggest thing is relevance Mm -hmm. Um, because you are, you're connecting the whole, the whole theory behind interpretation is you take a universal truth, whether that's love or loss or more specific like, um, idea, maybe like loss of a child or something like that. Something that people have universally experienced and connecting it to the people you're talking to. So it doesn't matter when it's set, you know, you're just making people care. Um, to
0: know somebody you know. who has died. Yes, I can relate. Yes.
4: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I think that, that is part of the, pop history movement is the relevance of it. And then, yes, I think you do need to have it backed up by some academia, but like Mm. neither of those are exclusive. And I think that's where we keep getting lost. And it drives me nuts. Like if you see somebody at a museum wearing kind of like a, Ren Faire costume. There's no reason to walk up to them and say it's all wrong. None. Yeah. They're buying in, right? Yeah. They've uh-huh. got them already. Um, same thing with Hamilton merch. Like if I saw a kid and I walked up and said, like, you know, everything, everything in that show is backwards. Like that's not that's not helpful either so I feel like he wasn't both-
0: really black we know that was the <laughs> <point>. <laughs> <You're aware. laughs>
4: but yeah I, th- I think that really oftentimes both disciplines could um perhaps use listening to the other one a little bit
1: yeah I, I'm, well, gonna gonna, co- I'm gonna go I'm gonna throw in a footnote with the going back to the chutzpah thing not just for shame of self-promotion although there is some of that in in addition to just the the material itself like when I when I get the assignments I do The research I write a story based on my research. It's fact checked by a a team at the Holocaust Center. There's also a team there who've been working on after the stories are done. They've been creating um, lesson guides, lesson plans for Mm -hmm. for teaching. I mean, I know for a fact Huts has been taught in middle schools and high schools and universities, which kind of blows me away. Yeah, kind of (laughs) blows me away that something I've written is being taught in classes, uh, (laughs) kind of all over the country. And we know that's happening. And if you go on Amazon and look up HootsPal, you can also find the HootsPal lesson guide. Mm -hmm. And I have a copy of it here. And I was kind of blown away by all the sourcing that took place in this based on a story I wrote where they took, here's one panel of something I referenced. Oh, and here's four pages of more information about that. Mm -hmm. And that's Fascinating and beautiful to me that that the work can be utilized in that fashion because, you know, my my six page story is an entry place to right. talk about these other things in, in much, much deeper fashion.
0: And that's maybe the interesting part, right? Like, I mean, maybe the takeaway from all of this from where public history and pop history is going to meet of, I mean, Hutzpah's very, it, it is a very well-selling book for an indie history, historical comic, but it's never going to be a New York Times bestseller, right? Like, right. That's just the market. Yeah, yeah. There. And
1: that, and some of it you know our distribution, and, and that's a whole right. other issue, but you but, can get it at Phantom of the Attic and The Holocaust Center and the Holocaust Museum in DC has copies of it on the rack next to Mouse
0: and Amazon. (laughs) Yeah, which is which is amazing, by the way, right? Yeah, and and but like you know, just uh, you know, we know just the the fact that uh, we've had. I I I remember um, listening to a random podcast that I remember. I remember like sending this to you and Marcel. Marcel is Wayne's roommate who also works on the project. I was listening to a random podcast that I just enjoy that has not. Not by anybody we know, not by anybody in Pittsburgh, but they are, they're an academic podcast. And they were just like, you know, so we found this thing. It's the fascinating things that I've read recently is this um, is this 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 Holocaust narrative called Hutzpah, and they just go in depth and they started talking about it for five minutes. I was like, you guys have to hear this, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But, but for the most part, we know also that of everyone who is going to read Hutzpah, the comic one, maybe two percent of them are going to read the study guide it's, right. oh, you know, yeah. by far the, the comic's gonna be more popular and that's got to be okay right like we cannot yeah. look we cannot down we cannot look down on people for wanting to be entertained any more than i think we can look down on people for wanting to know more information i think they both need to be okay and i think that's what emily was getting at right like you you know Absolutely.
2: you, yeah
0: like i think it's great that hamilton brought this to the world where people are like there, there are um, my nephew knew every word to every damn song on the album. And he was three at the time, right? Like he just and he, and he just would not stop singing it. And the fact that a three-year-old was that interested in US history was amazing, right? It
3: hasn't happened since schoolhouse rock. Right.
2: Right. And
0: he's, and Liberty's he's,
2: kids. Yeah. <laughs> but he's
0: but he but he's six now and he's still, you know, he knows stuff about like the fact that he knows who Alexander Hamilton is and not just George Washington is amazing yeah. right so great but on the other hand even if you don't become my nephew right the the fact that people are interested in it at all is you know, if you just like Hamilton because you find the songs catchy great that's still better than nothing isn't it I,
1: I think yeah oh, we're yes.
3: airing out all of our dirty secrets I very rarely look at the very large appendix or bibliography sections in those bestseller nonfiction books. Okay. <laughs> Despite being a researcher, like if, if it's not about a topic that I'm not researching.
2: Right. I well, probably
3: didn't look in the back of the book. I, I read the book and I was like, Wow. That was interesting. And then I put it on the bookshelf and maybe I'll use that work cited later, but maybe I never ever touch it again. And that's okay. That doesn't make me less of a historian.
2: So speaking so <laughs> of
4: oh, I've recently decided I am not reading nonfiction outside of work because it started to be all I do. And it was getting unhealthy. So the closest I got was I've been reading. Um, Um, A fantasy, pseudo-fantasy book, the Discovery of Witches series. And I got halfway through the first one. I was like, "Why am I so interested in this?" And it's because it was written by a PhD, a historian, um, yeah. who was writing about me.
2: <laughs>
4: I know. And yeah, there are vampires and witches, but there's also really great detail and no appendix. But I just, it, she could, her ability to build that world um, in a way that I believed—I didn't care. It's, it's like it's. It's the best of both worlds to me because she's telling a good story. I get my little um, uh, shots of adrenaline when I know something in relation to what she's talking about, and it's just beautiful, wonderful fluff um, with no uh, with no appendix involved.
0: <laughs> I love the very specific appendixes. I mean, don't don't attach uh, it.
4: I spend too much time in them um, on a day to day basis. I think.
0: Yeah. And I think this is fascinating. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad that we did this because, you know, I'm learning stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So we've resolved nothing, I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> although, although, although maybe we have, but you know, we might need to retire that catchphrase because we we come to some kind of conclusion. Yeah.
0: We've come to some conclusions and I think they're important ones because like, I don't know. Well, that we it's didn't reason, resolve but, though what's is that?
3: why the fuck sea biscuit is a
2: national bestseller.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <Lots> of <laughs> you, said, you did say that there are, you know, and I mean, we're, we, we're not doing the psychology episode here. We didn't invite Steph, but you know the 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 question of girls and horses and this long standing psychological I, sexual I, I mean,
1: thing that I, is it there? In, this I a the
2: bestseller.
1: I, I'm going to, I'm going to reference. Maybe we can link it in the show notes. There's an Adamant B side from the early '80s called "Why Do Girls Love Horses," and he explain <laughs> he explains it all.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I'll just leave it at that.
0: Uh, <laughs> from our listeners uh, to our listeners, have you seen the movie Sea Biscuit? <laughs> <laughs> Explain to Monica why it's a national treasure.
4: <laughs> I was not a sea biscuit stand as much as a blue velvet stand. To be completely <sighs> honest, that was when my. Why why I was
1: I, I was talking with Marcel, before, like just right before we started recording, and he and a friend went to see Seabiscuit At the time, he said they just they, they went sort of on a whim, just wanting something that was real world and you know palate cleanser from all the sci fi fantasy stuff they'd been going to see. And he said he really loved the movie, and it was interesting because he he said um, he just he mentioned it in passing to his mom. You know, he talked to her later that day, and she's old enough that she was a child when that happened and remembered all that stuff. And started reminiscing about the real world sea biscuit, and uh, he told me that she and her, her siblings had a record that was. And I'm trying to remember how he described this. It was a record that told the race of Seabiscuit, the actual race, but it had different grooves on the record. So where you could drop the needle down, it would play different race. So there were different outcomes, like hmm. four, four different outcomes because of the way the, the album was pressed. And you didn't know what you were getting because it depended on what groove the, the needle hit when you put it down.
3: So anyway, this, choose your own adventure. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Oh my, oh, my gosh. gosh that's how cool. cool.
1: Yeah and, and yeah,
0: you know, we might have to do it, an episode it, once on uh, someday on the weird things that they used to do with records based on the grooves because that yeah. that wasn't that, that that record is not unique. <laughs> there are many yeah. recited albums.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots and hidden tracks on CDs used to be a thing. And, yeah.
0: You know. So yeah, we've resolved nothing. <laughs> we've resolved nothing.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> but this is fascinating. I mean, it, 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 I guess you know. Should we explain the dumb guy? You you referenced the dumb guy role earlier yeah. in the show. Wade. <laughs> sure, <laughs> go ahead. internally, you know, at, at Vox Popcast HQ <laughs> when we are <were, laughs> we we producing the show we often you know just as a little aside we often have a role for a show where we'll, it's like you know who's going to be the dumb guy this episode where we assign one of us to ask questions that um, to, to to stand in for you the audience things that you might not you might not know and we not need to that give we're ourselves the audience of. is
1: dumb no. but and we, and but and we
0: call <laughs> ourselves the dumb guy because at one point Wayne was like I don't know anything about this topic so I'm going to be the dumb guy on this show and that's and that's just what we've been calling it ever since and' and sometimes it's because sometimes it's because we actually know and and someone just has to ask questions and other times it's because we don't really know the answer and on this episode it was a lot of you know wayne and I when we were you know booking this show it's just like I don't know anything about this topic,
1: but I'll be there. Yeah, I think I said (laughs) earlier, I I made some assumptions based on what Monica had written. And good job, Monica, on writing the blog, because most of my assumptions (laughs) were dead on, Uh, you know, coming into it, not knowing exactly what you're talking about. I I reread it before recording, like, okay, this is what I think. And lo and behold, I was mostly right. So so. Maybe not so dumb. Not
3: so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: I think my takeaway
0: here is that Vox podcast, this show, makes people smarter. Yep.
1: I I, I, I've been told by by a very good friend that he feels smarter every time he listens to us. Now that's I don't common. know if that's because we're idiots or if yeah. a, he just he, he, he feels educated. Uh, so you know. Uh, well, let us know in the show notes. I mean, let us know in the comments whether you know why, why
0: you know why do you feel smarter? Are you smarter than us? Or is the show helping? I would really like to let me you know, write us a five star review telling us um, it, that you've made me that we've made you sound smarter. But anyway, uh, I want to thank Emily.
2: Oh, <laughs> thank-, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for so about
0: history. very <laughs> informative. Yeah, it was great. So Emily, if people want to find out more about you. They have a choice. They could go to Colonial Williamsburg and just
1: wait. Or, yes. <laughs> you know, how else can they find you? Where, where's some Hamilton merch so she can find you?
4: Yes, I'll shout <laughs> across the street. Or if you're on Instagram, you can find me at Vintage Dreaming 1776.
0: Oh, nice. Wow. That's great. Um, it'll be linked in the show notes, of course. And Monica Marvelous.
3: Yeah, you can also find me on Instagram or you can find me on Twitter uh, at Monica Marvelous, except on Instagram, that's L-U-S and on Twitter, that's
0: L-U-X. <laughs> You're never sure which one's which. I, I can tell when you say it.
3: <laughs> and also I'm like, spelling. Don't be dumb. <laughs>
1: and Wayne I, I think probably the best thing this time around since we talked about it is linked to the, the chutzpah stuff on show notes so uh, I, yeah if, you know they they know all my other stuff and if they don't it doesn't matter right now
3: <laughs> but yeah right. oh send me book recommendations anyone please you <laughs> <laughs> also love bestseller nonfiction. oh okay know <laughs> what you just specific. read so that I can like, read read the same thing and we can have book club right all you I have want. to be very specific yes. if you, do that. Oh, yeah. you just say
0: send me Book recommendations. People would be like, uh, I don't know. There's here's here's a book. Uh
2: <laughs> I <laughs> I books that. like Sea
4: Biscuit. I will okay. break my nonfiction rule for the, the five that you talked about earlier. I'm excited
3: about that one. Yeah, that highly, good. highly recommended.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out about our topics before the show airs. This is like, you know, like Monica just wrote the wonderful blog about this show, which became this show. You can read it. You can give us, you can ask us questions, which we will address on the show. Sometimes we'll pick guests from the comments to be on the show and talk to us. You can suggest topics to us. You can just give us your thoughts. You can give us your feedback on this episode. Um, we would really appreciate it. And if you enjoy the show, we certainly hope you do. Then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor, leave us a five-star rating or review on iTunes. That really helps us out by goosing the algorithm, making us more popular Especially if you don't just leave a rating, but you leave a five star review. If you leave a review um, that I can read and feel good about myself, and again, just just say five stars. They make me so much smarter. Or five stars, I am so much smarter than these idiots.
1: What are those? <laughs> either <laughs> what are those, stars, either way, work.
0: As long yep. as it's five stars, that's the important part. Um, <laughs> that help, that helps us out. Um, You can also subscribe to us on YouTube where you can see a visual representation of the show and of my other show, Gosh Golly Wow, two podcasts for the price of free. I would like to thank Emily once again for joining us. I'd like to thank you.
4: Thanks for having
0: me, me, guys. Yeah, I'd like to thank Maximilian of Bought Music for our epic theme song, Building Ever So More Epic and Playing It's Out. I'd like to thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.